Hello, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. This is Beth, and I'm glad you're here. Today, I have Alexia with me. Alexia and I, this is actually the first time we're meeting face-to-face uh, -face over Zoom in person, and uh, Alexia and I were participating in the same coaching program together, and she graciously offered to share her story with us. So I'm going to be hearing it for the first time along with the rest of you, and I'm going to turn it over to her and let her share her story, and then we will um, have some questions at the end. So welcome, Alexia. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, I I have made it a point. So whenever I see somebody offering to let me share the story of my mom passing, that I just, I want to be able to do that because I feel like it's needed that we need to talk about these things. And that's part of the reason is my family did not want to talk about the fact that she had passed away. So just to put a light around that. So my mom um, got lung cancer and she was 51 and um, she got lung cancer. It was kind of a fluke like thing. Like she was not going to the doctor for that. She was going for some other thing and her doctor kind of on a whim, like did an x-ray. And then all of a sudden it was like, she had lung cancer and it was like this really fast process. And we didn't have a chance to process ourselves. And um, it was fast. And it turned out she had to come to Nashville here to get a um, biopsy. And it turned out to be um, small cell, which is very, there's a very low percentage. Oh, there's a very low percentage of survival for survivor. Like the survival rate is really low. And I think it's like five to 15% of people live more than two years. Um, so we just kind of went on the journey with her. And my background is that I have a PhD in cancer biology. So when, when I found out that she was sick, I just sort of shifted into like scientist. Like I wasn't daughter of my mom who was sick. I was scientist. And I felt like, like our relationship in our whole life was very in my whole life was very it wasn't normal I guess like so I grew up with her up until but she like we lived in poverty she was a single mom had me and my sister and then she had got married again and had, we had a brother but then they got divorced so the brother was went with the dad and then um I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me so but basically she had like these three little girls and she was always a single mom. She didn't really work or anything. So we were obviously poor. And, um, she, because of that, I was like an, I'm a Enneagram one, if you know anything about the Enneagram. And I was very much like, I mean, I didn't know this then, but I was like, I have to do things right. And like, why don't you have a job? And why not? And looking back, it turned out that she had depression and she was bipolar and all these things. Um, and so I left home at 13, I moved in with my grandmother and I brought my two sisters with me slowly but surely and just kind of ignored my mom all through my teen years. If I saw her, I would just, I wouldn't even really talk to her. I'd just say, do you have a job? Like that's all I really said or did. And so I was, I always felt like I was the responsible one. She didn't have any responsibility, that kind of thing. When I went to college though, I had internet access and that was part of the problem. Um, was that she had gotten into like online gaming, which is kind of funny to think about now, but she did that. I think looking back just as an adult now to cope with her depression, 
you know, she can go into this world online and be a different person and have a family and all it would she played those games where it's like RPG stuff. And I used to just get so upset that she was on the computer all the time. And, um, but when I got into college, I had, you know, this was in 2004. And so I get into college and there's internet all the time. I'm from like the country. There was no internet. We didn't, we had dial up. <laughs> we had dial up. It just, I mean, I wasn't on there all the time. And suddenly I had this connection to the mom that I hadn't really seen in five or six years. And so we kind of came back together, hashed it all out. I said, this is, I'm mad about this. And she apologized and she explained things that I just didn't even know had happened. And um, so we became like, we rekindled that relationship, but it still was like this. It was hard for me to relate to her as I don't know, I guess, I don't know what that looks like to have your mom be truly this mother figure. Um, she was about, I think she had me when she was 20, 21. So she was always like the, like, because of the bipolar, um, she was always very like fun and, um, sort of chasing happiness, I guess. Like if anything was hard, she was out, like she wasn't doing it. And that meant jobs. She would start jobs, quit jobs, start school, quit school. Um, we moved around all the time, you know, all of that stuff. So when I was like in college, it was sort of like the person I was, was in spite of her. I was in school because I was going to prove that you could finish it. I went to grad school. So, cause I was going to prove that you could do hard things like just kind of this life. And I was always felt like I had to be the responsible one. So when she got sick, I didn't, I felt like I needed to hold it together for her because, because of her mental illness um, when things were hard for her, there were times when she would try to overdose or she would just like lay in bed for weeks on it, you know, things like that. And so I guess I was just really scared of what would happen if I actually let loose when she was saying she had cancer. Um, and looking back, I just regret that so much because I never like said bye. I never like sat with her and there was one time where I and this is so, it's so odd it was almost like I couldn't be truly emotional with her because I remember like when I found out that she had the small cell and I knew it was going to be scary and she had to start doing radiation I think it was I drove back home so it's like four and a half hours and I drove straight there and I was like I'm here and I remember being so frustrated because she, looking back, it really overwhelmed her because all of us showed up at her house, you know, her mom, uh, me, my sisters, like everybody was just around her. And it was sort of like in her head, she was just like um, not wanting to face that, that everybody's here because she's sick. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm dying when I'm not yet. You know, like she was very strong like that. And I remember going there and I was frustrated and I was like, can we not talk about like your treatment plan? And, you know, again, scientists. And she just turned to me and she said, can't I just die in peace and like, stop asking me questions and stop trying to plan all this. And I get it. Like she was scared and, but she never really shared any of her fear around it or anything. And, um, I remember going in to visit her another time and of course she started pushing me further and further away. Mm -hmm. And it was because she's, she didn't, she kept saying, I don't feel good. And I was like, well, 
you're not going to feel better. Like I, if you don't let me come see you, I'm never going to be able to see you. And, um, but she kept saying, Oh, go, go with your sisters, go shopping, go, you know, when you can shop freely, um, you know, do these things. And, um, and I realized that it was like, she was, she didn't want me to see how sick she was. She didn't want me to see what she was going through. So I didn't see what she was going through. And, um, later on after she had passed away, there were video, like she had put videos on Facebook and on a YouTube channel where she was talking and she had done her own GoFundMe hoping that somebody would support her treatments and stuff. And it was so sad to see after the fact, cause I didn't even like pay attention when it, when she was going through it. And so um, I just remember driving in one time and it was like, all I did was sit in a bedroom with her and like ask her all the questions that I ever wanted to know the answer to but it still wasn't emotional. It was like matter of fact. And so I think the point of all that, I think for me is that I believe, you know, after she passed away, she lived, she went through radiation and went to her brain and then she got dementia essentially like really fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, she went from, and I should have known because I had a, I'm, I know cancer and it was like, I knew that lung cancer goes to the brain and it's like, I wasn't like using my knowledge to even help her because she was on medicine like you know whatever kind of medication and um she started talk saying the wrong words and she would like either say a bunch of gibberish or she would say like I want to you know can you bring me the goldfish and she meant like the pen or like say the wrong words and I was like and at first because of her past with medicine my grandmother and I were going is she taking too much medicine like is she coping again and it just makes me sad because what was happening is the cancer was in her brain and it was messing up her ability to talk and she got I mean it was like in May she left me a birthday wish voicemail and by August she was gone and it was like she went from talking and being coherent to I mean it was like a toddler it was so so even more of me not showing emotion because I was like, nope, I have to take care of, like, she's a mess. And so, um, and I actually quit my job right at the end of, of May, which is when my birthday is. And um, so it was very, you know, it was timely. Like I was able to go almost every weekend to go there, but it was just hard to watch. And um, after it happened, I don't know that I properly, I guess I grieved. I mean, I did, I cried and cried, you know, and it was the hardest the first year, I would say. Um, No, it was hard the first year. It was harder the second year because this was in 2018, she passed away. And it was harder the second year, I think, because it was almost like, because I lived so far away from her. um, Anyway, you know, most of my adult life, I didn't, I mean, I didn't live anywhere near her. I would call her. Well, I'm in the, I'm a, I'm a kind of a workaholic kind of a person. I would just get busy. And I remember as time went on, I was like, I need to call. Oh, like that's when it kind of hit me was when I was like, I can't call. Like there's nobody to call. And I remember when she first passed away, like the, the, I mean, I guess everybody goes through this because I read somebody else talking about it where it was like, I go to the grocery store and I'm like, no one knows like that my life, like they have no clue that the, the earth just lost someone, you know? And like, she's nowhere. Like that was just the weirdest feeling. Like it's like, I couldn't like a beacon for her. It's like, she's just gone. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I made it a point 
to, and this is probably some kind of self-protective mechanism from something, but I just made it a point to, I was sad and I allowed myself to cry and be in grief and all of that. But I don't know why, but I just, I just believed that it was for a reason. I mean, cause I think God is good. And I think that like, why would my mom die before, right before she turned 53, there has to be something to learn there. And so, um, each right when that happened and then each year after I'll take time on her Memorial day and just kind of journal and, and write out like, who was she? What did I learn from this? Um, how does it affect, you know, who I am? And I feel like it's so wild because the things that I sort of hated the most when she was alive are the things that I just see totally differently now because like I was so and, and you know we were in that coaching program that was she was the biggest reason I joined or not I didn't know that was going to be the reason I was going to join um <laughs> you know Kathy just kind of said that and I was like like who are you rising up for and I was like my mom lived her life sort of always having these big grandiose ideas and all these things she wanted to do. And, you know, she wanted to lose weight and be able to do this. And she wanted to have this business and make this money and do all these things. And she didn't do any of it. And just, I realized like she wanted so badly for me to be able to do it. And um, I was like, I have to, you know, make this happen. And she, and I printed it out actually, cause I didn't even see it until weeks later after she had, passed away I I had posted on my Instagram on Facebook or something that I had just quit my job and I was gonna go be an entrepreneur and I was gonna do this thing and um, she was a very like out of the box kind of a person like almost like against the grain kind of like a rebel in a lot of ways mm -hmm. which is not me at all I'm not rebellious <laughs> I am a rule follower um, and so I saw later she wrote I'm so proud of you for stepping out of the box. You're going to do great. And so I printed that out and put it like by my desk. And, um, but it was, it was just, I learned a lot of this stuff where she kind of, her kind of free lifestyle was really that she refused as much as she could to be sad. Um, even, she had every reason to be sad, living in poverty, you know, terrible things happened to her in her life and all of that. And it's like, she, and she had bipolar, but she would try so hard to just be fun and have fun no matter what. So I just kind of learned like to try to like take those as lessons and to be a little like my mom for the first time. Like I did, I never said that when she was alive. It's kind of the opposite. Um, so yeah, I guess, and, and I guess it's also impacted in a negative way, actually, this is a recent grief processing thing that I had to go through. Um, one of the women in, in our coaching program, Sunny Choi Cho, she, um, she was holding a grief class. And the story of that is funny because I had no intention of signing up for that. Like I wasn't seeking that out, but I had this notion that I needed to, to get I was like going through my own, like, what am I going to do for my business? And I felt like God was saying, like, get a clarity call with, with Liz, this other woman. And then I reached out to Liz and she wanted to just trade coaching. So we're coaching each other. And then I was like, well, I still feel like I need to spend this money on somebody. So I'm going to wait until I see who, whose business I need to pour into. 
And then Sunny had the hot seat. And I was like, Sunny, what do you have that you're offering? And she's like, I have this grief class. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I show up to this thing. Oh, I wish I had, I wonder if I have it. I show up to this. I have no idea what to expect, but I never did. I I almost did one of those grief um, things at like church. I don't know what it's called. Like where that you, it's like a 12 week thing. And, Mm -hmm. and I kept like almost going, but I wasn't like walking around. This is probably, like I said, this is probably just some kind of strength coping thing, but I, I wasn't like just a puddle of tears all the time. I choose to switch all memories to like happy um, or like something fond out of it. Not, I mean, of course I miss her and I, and I do that, but I'm not going to let it not let me move forward. And mm-hmm. so I can't, do that. so basically in this grief processing thing, I realized that in a weird way to hold on to my mom, I've been trying to be like her, like including in my business. So she was always a free spirit and bouncing around from thing to thing to thing to thing. Like she didn't stick with anything. Um, She just believed that you had to do only things that made you happy. Um, and And she also valued staying home with us as the three kids more than working, more than anything. If that meant being on welfare, if that meant everybody in the family pitched in, she didn't care. We were more important than that. So here I was in my life I was like, why am I not like really showing like in my head, I want to show up for my business and I'm not like, what is going on? And that was a big part of it is that I think um, it was almost like I didn't want to succeed because it's almost like an honor of her, like in a backwards, weird way. I don't know. So it was really good to go through that. So I needed that um, to just recognize that, you know, that it's a process And I know that there are things that are going to come up and keep coming up that I will process from, from the whole thing. Cause I mean, especially as a parent, it's, I remember talking to her. I obviously knew she was going to pass away. Um, and I started asking her more parenting questions and really, I feel like she was, I mean, this might be cause it was the eighties and nineties. But the way that parenting is just very different than today. And so I don't, I couldn't figure out like, is that her or what? Cause like, I don't think, I think that like the values that I have are good. And so she, but looking back, like she was super hands-off. I mean, like there was no structure, there was no routine none of this nonsense. She didn't care about our food. She didn't care if we watched on TV or if we watched TV all day. Like none of that was there. Video games. Great. Like it was just like, you're alive. That's what matters. Um, and so I just trying to look at that in my own life um, and trying to like see like, should I do that or should I not? I don't know. Like those things are coming up and just realizing all of that um, I think will be an ongoing process. And, you know, yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> Oh, well, what you were just saying about the comparing the parenting things, um, but from what you've uh, shared about your mom, she made you feel valued. She knew she made you feel like you were important, that you were the most important thing that more important than a job. Um, So I always find it too, with my kids, it's interesting. I think what's going to land them on the psychiatrist. (laughs) I look back on my own childhood and I'm like, eh, I didn't have, you know, it wasn't horrible, but I didn't have a whole lot of structure. And, you know, 
I haven't lived with my parents since I was 16. So um, it's, it's interesting to see how we look back on that um, and can compare it to, like you said, to parenting now is very, quite different. Um, yeah, we have a, a, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say like, yeah, the parenting is, is the hard part. And I think like, I don't know a single person who says my childhood was amazing and I'm amazing because of it. Like nobody, rich, poor, middle, like none of, nobody, there's always something. And that was another thing I guess to realize is that like, she may not have been whatever I thought the perfect mom was going to be, but cause if she would, I, I learned like, okay, well maybe if she would have worked all the time we wouldn't have been poor, but then I wouldn't have had my mom. Who would I have been right. with? There was nobody there. So it's mm -hmm. like you trade these things and you realize as a parent, like, oh, that's just the, I don't know. It's just a choice she made and she went with it. Mm -hmm. And who knows what the right, you know, quote unquote choice is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we need to change our perception to dysfunction is the normal child. Right. You know, the, the be, uh, leave it to beaver. Or, I, you know, I don't know if you remember that that uh, program that I think a lot of people try to compare themselves as to the idyllic kind of, you know, family life is not real. Mm -hmm. I think dysfunction is more of the common reality than is not. Um, so it was interesting you said when you were, when uh, you were kind of interviewing things, asking her about questions of things you wanted to know, how did you do that? Was it just all verbal? Did you record it? Did you write it down? How did you, how did you capture all of those memories? Yeah, you know, I, I just, I don't think I wrote it down. Maybe I did now that you're saying that. Maybe I did have like a Word document up on my phone. I just went and was talking to her, but I don't, I tried really hard to get her. And this was me not wanting to like admit, I think that she was dying or to even, again, I felt like I needed to like protect her. Like she didn't know <laughs> um, because I didn't, I tried to ask her to record like, what would she want to say to my son mm -hmm. later? Like, what would she want to leave for him? What would she want to leave for, you know, my sister's kids? Like, what would she want to say to them? Because they were, I mean, my son was two. He remembers her existence, but I mean, he doesn't remember anything about her. And so it's just like, and she just wouldn't like do those recordings. Um, I think because for her, that was admitting that it was going to happen. I mean, she tried so hard to hold out that hope and, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I did put it on a word thing, but it's really just in my head. And it was not even that, it wasn't like memories that really, it was things that were like unclear. And this is going to, I mean, it was like, what really happened in your divorce with my dad? Like, he says this, you say this, tell me, tell me what it is. <laughs> um, or like, you know, my youngest sister has a different dad. And so it's like, okay, uh, what, how did you meet? Why did, why are you not together? Like what happened? This is what I remember from my 10 year old brain, but what happened really? And just mm -hmm. kind of, I guess things that would clear her name as it were, not mm -hmm. things. Cause we had already hashed out all the things that had happened to me. It was more like for my sisters and for her character. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like you got a clear answer like about when her and your dad divorced? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I think it was good. I mean, I think that the issue is that they say two different things. And so, um, but well, it was, I just didn't know of her defense mechanism of, you know, looking at yeah. a happy perspective of maybe she, you know, wouldn't actually, you know, be honest with you or not. 
Mm-hmm. No, she was, she was honest. Oh, good. Well, yeah. I mean, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Um, I was also interested in when you were talking about how you almost found it to be harder. I just took three pages of notes. <laughs> um, harder the second year. I find, I find that interesting. Um, and I wonder if it's, I, it, well, you tell me what you, do, do you have any, have you thought about that at all? Why, why do you think it was harder the second year? Yeah, I think it was harder because like I I think because it was already the distance to begin with. Um like during that first year certain you know holidays things like that would bring it back up, but it's kind of like in between. I think one I dove into my business and my own stuff to like forget. And then two uh, like I said over time it was like farther and farther and farther away. Um, and then that second year, I guess, because I did the memorial thing. So I didn't do that at first. And when I sat down and tried to reflect back on what I thought it meant, what I could learn, all of that, I I think I started looking for it more in my life and just realizing like, she's for real, not coming back. And I know it's like, it's been a year, but it was just like, it's really not, this is like, she's not anywhere. Um, and just sort of maybe accepting it, which also meant the sadness came on stronger the second year. Mm, That's interesting. When you were sharing it, I was thinking, I wonder if it's also just because um, you like, well, like you said, the distance, but that you've let your guard down a little bit, maybe with that first year, it's like that constant anticipation of the first Christmas coming and the first, you know, birthday and the first this and the first, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if, you know, like the second year you said, there's more distance from, from the day of the passing. Um, but I just also wonder if it's maybe you've let your guard down a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I that's think probably action, you know, that yeah, no, you're probably right in that, that I was, because in my family, I'm kind of like the matriarch, even though I'm not. And so, um, there's just a lot of mental stuff, like depression, anxiety, lots of anger in my family. Um, And so I think I still felt like I had to hold it together for them. Uh, Nobody really wanted to talk about it. Of course, my grandmother lost her only child. So she was very sad. And so it was just like this weird time where I still had to be really strong. I felt in order for them to not lose it, even though they were still losing it. Um, Yeah. So I guess it was almost like I finally recognized that my family wasn't processing it the right way. And they after two years, it was sort of, after the first year, it was sort of like they could talk about it too. And so it was like, there's some, I am, I cry over everything mm. except things that are like, that really warrant crying. <laughs> like I'll cry over a commercial or like a Disney movie or something. But like when it's, you know, my mom passes away, of course I burst, I, I cried like the first week, but then it's like, after that, like I try so hard not to cry over it. Um, or like if somebody's, says something mean or whatever I don't know um so I think yeah it was probably a a, like letting down some guard there and giving myself the permission because I started to understand that I needed to let I needed to grieve that and I knew I knew that I wasn't grieving it like all the way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I I sometimes think in the very beginning it's, it's hard to just because you're processing all kinds of other information you yourself were main being the glue for the rest of the family so you didn't allow yourself to um 
but like we we were speaking before we started recording i said you know that's that's part of the reason why i'm doing this starting this process is because i don't you know people say oh you know just take time and i just don't think you ever get over grief i think you have to learn how to live with it and and deal with it and um, be able to um, process it when it hits you like like a wave like you were talking about out of nowhere sometimes yeah and i think it's really you know this your this podcast that you're doing i think is so good because as you were talking i was realizing I've never been able to say the full story. Like nobody in my family wants to hear the story. They were part of it. It's too hard for them. Friends are like, why are you talking? Like they're sort of weirded out by it. My husband is like, he like refuses to be sad. And mm. so, I mean, even the day she died, he's like, you want to go to my cousin's party? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, I thought it would get your mind off of it. And I'm like, that's not how I process. <laughs> I need to be like, he thinks that if you let yourself have the emotion that you're going to stay there and just the way his family is, even when his grandmother passed away, um, I guess it's eight years ago now. And it was like the next day we were like going to the casino because they, for his birthday or whatever with his parents. And I was like, what is happening? Like, they're not like, I don't know. They didn't have like a grieving period. So yeah, it's like giving people the chance to just kind of share this story in kind of a neutral space where I don't know it's like it's like therapy is what it feels like like I'm able to just process mm -hmm. well uh, one of the um you know I've been basically processing out loud on on social media uh, since I decided to move forward with this idea and one of the things I realized I listened to was listening to Brene Brown's um gift of imperfections and she was talking about shame and that's why I had this epiphany that I was like oh my gosh there's shame we get put onto us shame on our grief because like you said nobody wants to talk about it you i mean i was 13 when my mom died you don't go back to middle school and be like oh yeah my mom died nobody wants to talk about that and then you know that you're making people uncomfortable so then you stop talking about it and say you're right you don't really have a whole lot of opportunities to just share your story and i think it's so important it's mm -hmm. so, such a big part of your life mm -hmm. that was good. um yeah so the one thing you mentioned a couple of times that I just was going to ask you to give a little more information on is you're saying about how you feel like you're bringing your mom into your new venture or that you're honoring her kind of like doing things more the way she she would have done it rather than your Enneagram one type personality would have done it. So can you just give me a little bit more on some on how you feel like that's happening in your new venture? Yeah, so I think when I first started, so when I left my job in 2018, I was sort of in this mindset that like, I'm going to, I'm going to basically like have it all. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to make money for myself online and then be able to see my mom. I wanted, cause she was sick. She had been sick for almost two years at that point. And so I was like, it, it hurt my heart that I couldn't, in looking back, I just makes me sad, but I, I couldn't go just go over there to go to chemo with her I couldn't um support her financially or, or whatever like just to be able to take that burden away um and so I was like I want to do it I'm going to do it and after she passed away I think what changed in my mind is like I kept um it's like I'm doing it I'm doing it like in different ways so in one way like I did Kathy's program because I was like, this is for like, kind of like for my mom, like, I'm going to do big things. I'm going to get out there, you know? And then 
the way that I was sort of holding on to her in a negative way is, I guess it's like trying to, she was, she didn't have money. So it almost felt like I didn't want to like, like if I had a life full of abundance and prosperity, that it's like, it doesn't honor her or something Mm -hmm. that it would be, of course she would want that for me, but something about like thinking that I was like flying by her or like, it would make her look bad that I did it. And she couldn't because, excuse me. And now that I'm in the online space more, looking back, she was trying to do it. And I just didn't even give her like the time of day um, in regards to this, because she was like, you need to get on YouTube. And there's this thing called like affiliate marketing. And, And I was like, you're crazy. Like, I just thought that it was crazy. And I remember that she was doing like Amazon reviews. And she's the reason that I started selling on eBay. She tried to encourage me because I was like, I want to make money online. I want to be home with Aiden and, but I'm not going to not work. And so she was like, try to make money online. And so I found eBay and I started selling on eBay and it was just like, she pushed me that way, but she kept talking about YouTube and all this stuff. And now I'm like, if I would have, I could have connected with her on that. I could have, you know, and I remember she was doing, trying to do Etsy. She was making candles and all, you know, all those things before I'd even thought about doing any of that. And, um, but yeah, I think now, and hopefully after Sunny's session, I like have broken free of that, but there was something about sort of just like not letting myself fully step into a life that contradicted what hers was. Mm-hmm. 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 It was one of your limiting beliefs. Yeah, it was something like, I mean, in general, I'm the weirdo in my family. I finished college. I got a PhD, like all of that stuff. I'm married to the same person. I have one child with him. Like all of that is very different. And I've always kind of lived in spite of whatever my family was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, like, yeah, I think to honor her, I was trying to, it's like I was, cause I inside, I was like, I want this so bad. I have all these ideas. I have all these things, but I just wasn't like moving. And I, I realized that I was trying to, um, like suppress myself so that I couldn't elevate because it would be so far. Here's the paper so that I couldn't go so far. So I wrote that, um, I was, I had basically, um, The other thing is that she believed that money was like a, like a bad thing and it made people mean and you shouldn't care what anybody thinks and all that kind of stuff. And so there was something in me about like earning money that sort of honored that value in her. And um, yeah. And, And the, and the big one was I won't live life based on what I want. That's what I was telling myself because she lived her life kind of bouncing around from thing to thing. And it was always like whatever she wanted. So in my mind, I thought if I go after this business that I want, if I do these things, I'm going to end up in poverty with my kids moved out and for, you know, four different guys and da, 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 da. And it was like, I was making those two things equal each other. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. wasn't true. So. Mm -hmm. That was so interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the program I'm writing um, is called permission, living with grief and reclaiming yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it does uh, do a lot to your own self-identity um, when you've gone through a traumatic event like that, especially a daughter without a mom. That, that relationship is just 
so integral to uh, who we are and who we, um, how we name ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, well, this has been so great. I really, really uh, appreciate getting to know you and listening to your short story. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us um, because it's not easy to do either, to be vulnerable and honest. And I appreciate that. Um, and I, so I just asked, do you have any sort of parting thought, something that you've, that your grief journey has taught you or that you wish you would have known before mm-hmm. or any sort of tidbit of advice that you would give to the listeners? Yeah, I think the biggest thing when the next person in my life is bound to pass away, right? We go through that is just to share your true feelings and your, your sadness that they're going. It doesn't mean that they're going to fall and crumble, but just connecting with them on that level to be like, I am sad that this is happening to you. Like when, you know, if you have that chance that they have some kind of illness. Um, And also after the fact, yeah, I think that it really served me. I mean, to really reflect on what can I learn from their life, from their passing? Like, what does it mean for me right now? Why did this happen to me? Um, Because it's true. I did lose my mom. And what does that look like? Why now? And not 10 years ago or 10 years in the future, like why now? And so I just would journal and pray over, you know, that so I could figure that out. And um, yeah, I think just praying, I just also just accepting that God did it for a reason and it's okay. And I have to trust that process. It's not, it's not like it wasn't supposed to happen. It's not like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it always was going to be. And so just moving forward from that was really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing to think about of what you can learn either from the person or from the situation or from the loss. Um, great. Well, thank you so much again. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for giving me the chance to share. Yes. Thanks to Alexia for sharing her story. The more I interview people about their grief journey, the more I am convinced that sharing our stories is the first part of healing. If you'd like more information, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Sunny's program, her information is in the program notes. Thanks again for listening.